First Rome, Season 1, Episode 2. I approached my father and mother as they were having breakfast. I greeted my mother with a gentle embrace around her neck with my left arm, and then my father by exchanging grasps on our left forearms just above the scars from our bows. Centaurs greet with their left sides so that in times of war their right sides are available to engage in battle at any moment as most of our shivs are hidden in our hallums or belts in reach of our right arms. We grasp left forearms below the elbow but above the scars from our bows as a sign of recognition. It acknowledges our scars from training and from battle. We are taught this from a very young age during training. Young Sanjus aren't expected to know these things and tend not to have scars until they begin training, but they generally pick up the tendency around the age of 12 birth solstices when they begin training and interacting with older centaurs. Astromus, how are you? I am well, father. My mother smiled gently at me. My mother is the perfect combination of graceful and strong, and she is always kind to me. Even that time when I was young and she found out I was keeping fairy in jars beside my bed. The fairy said a Sanjun killed the cornifowl and was carrying a branch. Father, I found it skinned and most of its blood was gone as well. I don't think a Sanjun did this. My father sternly but gently cut me off. Astromus, please find the fairy and bring it to the council at two ticks before the peak of the sundial. I nodded and set out to the woods. Knowing a fairy's name makes it so much easier to find the one you're looking for. They gossip so much that they all know each other, even among the different kingdoms. I found Begotten and had to explain to the kingdom why I was asking a fairy to come to the council meeting. Pigotten's kingdom chattered among itself and various fairy came forward to vouch for me telling stories of how I had helped them in the past. I couldn't hear what they were saying exactly, but by the body language and reactions of the other fairy, it was clear what was transpiring. Truth be told, I really just socialize with them, but sometimes they get scared of nearby creatures, so I guess having me around makes them feel protected. Their internal debate sounded like happy bumblebees arguing with concerned hummingbirds. Their colorful wings fluttered as they spoke to one another, some of them in midair, others resting on branches and rocks. Some engaged in debate, others listened intently. I thought about how nice such a scene would look in my lair, perhaps in a carving on my wall. I'm not sure why I feel so at peace among the fairy. There were so many scattered colors splashed around among the stones and leaves. Maybe I just liked the ambiance. After some speculation, the kingdom gave the blessing for Pagotten to travel to the council with me. Proudly, Pagotten took a seat on my shoulder, wings fluttering, legs crossed. When Pagotten and I arrived, the council elders were perched on their podiums, throne-like risers placed strategically for each of them to preside over the Celestines attending the open council meetings. Celestines were gathered below the council elders, and there was a lot of chatter. I couldn't understand any of the conversations, but I knew there was arguing. Pagotten was very frightened, so I took some berries out of a small pouch in my hallum and put them in my hand so Pagotten could snack on them while we awaited our destiny. A loud, booming voice crashed through the commotion, and the room hushed immediately. The same voice commanded me to come forward. It was Cloudrin, one of the elders of the Celestines that opposed the dragons in the war. Technically, this would be a rival Celestine of ours, but here on the council, we meet in peace among each other as centaurs. If my father were allowed to have his own feelings, I would guess he wouldn't like Cloudrin, but I could never bring such a topic up for discussion. My father's voice followed Cloudron's as a much softer demand of his request, and I came forward with the fairy. 
I walked forward through the centaurs with Pagotten, munching away at berries in my hand. Some centaur faces looked welcoming, others confused, some hostile. I continued to walk forward with my eyes focused on my father. There was nothing to fear here, and I had to be strong for Pagotten. As I approached the podiums, I saw that my father brought Colossus, who was perched on my father's loin, looking as narcissistic as always. I climbed up onto the witness podium and looked at Colossus as I presented Pagotten. Colossus hopped off my father, and four hops later, he was on the ledge of the witness podium. He looked disgusted as I nudged Pagotten to go ahead and answer any questions asked. Colossus cleared his throat and asked Pagotten to tell him again what transpired the previous night. Pagotten told Colossus the same story as before, and Colossus regurgitated it word for word. Colossus almost looked satisfied to be telling the centaurs that one of their own kind was now involved with such a conspiracy. My father thanked us, and I started to descend the stairs when Cloudron's voice demanded that Pagotten and I remain for further questioning. As soon as he spoke, I felt Pagotten jump in my hand, startled by Cloudron's deep, demanding tone. I gently pet Pagotten on the head and said that everything was fine. Cloudron dismissively waved toward Colossus and demanded Colossus ask Pagotten for a description of the Sanjun. Pagotten looked pleased, as if now having the chance to assist the centaurs was a very important thing to do. Colossus translated Pagotten's description as brown hair, fit body, about this high. He flailed his fat hand at a certain point in the air to show the alleged height from the floor of the Sanchun. Cloudron interrupted Colossus with a loud, mocking tone. Your fairy just described most of the Sanchuns in all of our Celestines combined. Either your fairy is a liar, or your toad needs to be killed, and its saliva bottled because it can no longer translate fairy tongue. None of that will be necessary, Cloudron, my father calmly noted. Thank you, Pagotten. Astromus, you can return Pagotten to the proper kingdom now. Please return to the council once Pagotten is home safe. I started to walk away and saw Colossus release his long tongue toward Pagotten. I pulled Pagotten away, holding the fairy close to my chest. I gave Colossus a warning look. I don't know if Colossus actually meant to eat Pagotten, or if that was some kind of bullying behavior typical of the toads, but I was glad to be leaving there, if I were allowed to have feelings on such a matter. By the time I returned to the council, it had adjourned, so I went to my Celestine's cave and found Heldefor preserving food for the Celestines with my mother and my youngest brother, Gordy. Gordy has been with us for six summer solstices, and he is one of my favorite sources of entertainment. He's funnier than the fairy. He looks like a small, scrawny version of my father, and he follows my father around everywhere. His wavy brown hair and dark eyes make him a very attractive young Sanjun. His bony structure makes him look lanky and slightly awkward, though still athletic. You can tell that he will grow into it all one day. Though Sanjuns wouldn't normally have archery at such a young age, Gordy has some that my father made from sticks and vines for him. If I thought my father had feelings, I would say he did it to both make Gordy happy and to get him to stop asking for real archery. But it was definitely done under the guise that Gordy is athletically advanced for his age and is ready to start learning his skills. Most centaurs would not dare question my father's judgment, except maybe Cloudron. Gordy saw me enter the cave and jumped up with excitement to come embrace me. He is so young that he just embraces the necks of everyone he meets and has no idea how to greet anyone who is not our mother. With his little sticks clanking in his quiver that my father made out of a hollowed-out log, he told me he heard I had to address the council with a fairy in my hand. 
he started firing off questions like, Did the fairy smell like gummy tarts? And is it true Colossus tried to eat the fairy? And why was the cornifowl killed? Word traveled fast, I guess. Destina. Destina, are you awake? Colton whispered to Destina's limp body as she hung from her chains in the cave. She moved ever so slightly and let out the smallest whimper to let Colton know that she was alive. She couldn't muster anything more than that. Colton's watch wasn't working in this place, so he wasn't sure what specific time or day it was, except that it was night and Gareth had just left the cave. Colton closed his eyes to meditate. He asked the universe for help, any help, to get them away from Gareth. Colton felt dizzy. He started to receive a vision, definitely from the universe. In it, he saw a sturdy young man with a mane of brown, wavy hair and clothing that seemed to be made from items found in a forest. Garments made of woven silks, leaves, and vines looked like they were crafted from nature as if nature herself were an expert seamstress. He saw the young man pause in a field underneath a sky full of stars and tilt his head sideways as if he could sense Colton trying to contact him, maybe even hear it. The young man's face looked as if he could be in his late teens or early twenties. Could Colton have reached someone on Earth? Perhaps a fellow shaman who could open a portal to bring them home? The young man gazed upward at the stars, and it felt like he was making direct eye contact with Colton, his eyes particularly dark but deep and seemingly aware. Colton found himself talking out loud to the young man. We believe we are in what some may call the first realm. We need your help. Please come immediately. Gareth has done terrible harm to the beings here, and we must leave before anything worse happens. Destina is not well. You must open a portal. Please come immediately. An immeasurable pain cracked into Colton's jaw, abruptly awakening him from the meditation. He could feel the pieces of his back teeth swimming around in the blood in his mouth, and his jaw was swelling so fast it was now barely mobile. He tried to spit the mess out from his mouth, but wound up drooling blood and tooth shards down his chin. Who are you talking to? Gareth's eyes were filled with fury. He tilted his head sideways, his eyes opening wide, a terrifying look in them, a look that seemed to hide a lifetime of horrifying pain behind them, pain that no living creature should have to endure. Gareth had just come back with another innocent baby unicorn thrown over his shoulder. Its body was limp and its frizzy mane bounced toward the ground with every step Gareth took toward his staff. It was clear Gareth wasn't willing to waste any time or of this unicorn's blood. Gareth twisted the tip off the staff and hacked the unicorn's rainbow horn off its head with a blade hidden inside the staff. Why am I wasting my energy doing this? He dipped his staff in the pool of blood that was just starting to form and swung it at Colton's face, verbally demanding Colton skin the cornifowl for him. In a flash like literal magic, Colton's eyes glazed over and, possessed, he freed himself from the chains, skinned the baby unicorn, and returned to the chains as if he never left them. Colton felt himself going through the motions but had no control over his actions and couldn't understand how his body was able to maneuver such a thing. It was so painful and would have seemed physically impossible 
had he not been possessed and completely under whatever control Gareth seemed to have over him through the unicorn's blood. Gareth threw the carcass into a corner and left it there drained of most of its blood and limp from its lifeless state of being. Its eyes were still open and Colton couldn't help but feel the sadness associated with the pain and agony this little creature must have gone through. He wondered if it had parents and if they were like the adult unicorns that Gareth previously killed. Why do you want its hide? Colton's words were barely intelligible from his broken jaw, but he had to gather as much information as possible for protection and to have when they try to clean up this mess. Perhaps he would have the opportunity to tell the man from his vision. Gareth looked at Colton with impatience and a splash of boredom, lifting one of his eyebrows just enough to show a few creases in his forehead. He looked at the pile of hides he stacked in the cave. He looked back at Colton and tilted his head. We'll gather the remaining blood now. He dipped the staff into a small pool of blood on the ground, splashed it in Colton's face, and barked his commands. Within a minute, more blood was gathered into the chalice embedded at the top of the staff, and the staff was then neatly placed against the wall next to the hide pile. Colton remembered that when they opened the portal to this realm, Destina needed a blood moon eclipse and some deep meditative tactics to open it, but all he could piece together now was that since they came through the portal, Gareth has been killing unicorns, and Destina is powerless to expedite any kind of escape. The baby unicorn's blood gave Gareth this power to possess humans, but what did he want with all the hides and the horns? And how did he know about these powers that came from the unicorns? The astonishing fact that unicorns exist wasn't even phasing Colton at this point, due to the turn of events since entering the realm. I felt my crown tingling, and an incoming message felt very strong, like a vibration entering my body and going through my entire being. Like a magnetic pull, I followed the invisible path that the guides were taking me on. This pull was like no other I have felt before. I barely had to move it was so strong. It felt like I could have closed my eyes and the ground beneath me would simply float me over to where I needed to be. I came across the entrance to a cave, and it was glowing as if there were torches inside. I heard nothing, so I moved in closer to get a better look. I saw two Sanjuns attached to the cave wall with some sort of contraption I have never seen before. In the corner was a slain cornifal. Another one? I felt something in my gut that I could only describe as preparation for battle, and I pressed forward. I had to. There was one more Sanchun who looked a little bit older than the others, but seemingly in good health, sleeping against a far wall. I wondered if he was now in hibernation. One of the Sanchuns attached to the wall saw me and began moving his mouth as if trying to speak to me, but every time he did, blood would drip out and he looked as if he couldn't say anything. He was of appropriate physique for someone almost Heldefor's age. He displayed the contraptions around his wrists for me, and gestured nervously with his eyes toward the Sanjun sleeping on the floor. As his eyes moved back and forth, I saw that they were brown with black in the centers. I've never seen that before. These Sanjuns must be under some spell? I suppose I was here to help them escape it. I've never actually seen a spell or heard of one taking place in our land, but I suppose it could be possible. I entered the cave and grabbed the contraptions around the Sanjun's wrists, ripping them out of the wall. 
I started with the Sanshun who tried to speak to me, and then I moved to the other one. Ripping the contraptions out of the cage wall made so much noise that it woke the older Sanshun. There was no way a Sanshun could be woken from hibernation from such sounds, so I realized he was just sleeping. The older Sanshun, now apparently angered, came toward me with a large piece of wood. Could this be the branch that injured Pagotten? I grabbed it before it could hit me and threw it to the ground. It broke into two pieces and what appeared to be unicorn blood dripped out of one of the ends. The older Sanshun looked at me with what appeared to be terror in his strange eyes. Just from the launch of the branch, I could feel the vibrational residue of the lack of density in his bones. I've never encountered such a thing. He bent to the ground, placing his palm in the unicorn blood and splashed it toward my face, getting a few drops on my cheek and in my eye while he yelled some sort of command at me. I couldn't understand him. He was speaking words I have never heard before. I had no intention of battling with him, as it seemed as if I would have been battling the likes of a bird. I would never use strength against such a weak being. I wiped the contents of the goblet from my face. The other two Sanchun seemed frozen in fear, so I told them to run out of the cave. Perhaps they didn't understand me, or maybe they were not well enough to move? They did seem very weak. I felt the hollowness in their bones when I freed them from the cave wall. Perhaps these centaurs were from an unheard-of colony of Celestines somewhere. I walked over to the older Sanjun, reached out my right hand, and wrapped my fingers around his neck, just enough to immobilize him. I paused for just a moment to look into his eyes. They were the strangest things I've ever seen. They were overall smaller than mine, and the color made them look like they had no depth. I slowly maneuvered him to the ground and let go of his neck. Why didn't the blood spell affect you? He asked slowly, opening his depthless eyes wide as his mouth formed the words. The words sounded like nonsense, but somehow made their way into my psyche, seemingly being translated shortly after I heard them. I understood him. What blood spell? I asked, wondering if he would understand me as well. I watched him scurry weakly over to the fallen stick, painting his face with unicorn blood, mumbling some strange words. In what seemed like a blur, he disappeared into thin air. I've certainly never seen that before. The other two Sanchoons were looking at me helplessly. I picked them up, one under each arm, and brought them out of the cave. They were of good size for Sanchoons, but strangely light for their size, and they felt so fragile and flimsy under my grasp. I carried them into the moonlight and attempted to ask them what happened. They just looked at me, blinking their weird eyes as if they didn't understand anything I was saying until I saw their expressions change. They looked how I felt when the older Sanshun asked me about the blood spell. Perhaps the words were translating for them? Moonlight has been known to do magical things. The male looked as if he might have understood but seemed so injured that he couldn't speak back to me. I decided to bring them to my father. I wasn't really receiving any guidance. Like I told you, the guidance will bring you to something and then just vanish expecting you to make decisions on your own. Perhaps a toad's saliva could heal some of their wounds so I could find out what happened in that cave. I was guided to it, so my father will support me. I tossed the male over my shoulder and carried the female under one of my arms to take them both back to the cave. When I arrived, everything was quiet as everyone was most likely asleep. I didn't want to alarm my father just yet as I had no real desire to speak to anyone until I resolved the pressing matter at hand. These Sanjums seemed to be injured very badly, and if they needed healing from some sort of spell, there wasn't any time to waste. I went to the toad fountain and whispered for Colossus to come to the surface. I heard the splashing of the toads clearly trying to avoid me. I wasn't really in the mood to negotiate at the moment. 
I laid the bodies of the injured Sanjunes on the ledge of the fountain and dove in, swimming straight for the bottom, grabbed Colossus firmly around his fat body, too massive and slow to avoid me, and dragged him up to the surface. His bulbous face was all distorted, his eyes were bulging, and his legs were sprawled out with no control over his body to move them. This wasn't going to end well, but for the time being, I needed him, and he was just going to have to deal with it. Colossus tried to croak, but I tightened my grip around him and cut off any movement. I put my free hand on the ledge of the fountain and pushed myself up to sit on it while whispering in his ear. He turned his eyes toward me, clearly listening to every word I said. He looked pretty frightened, but I really didn't care. Colossus, if you make any noise, I will kill you. I will squeeze you to death, and it will be very unpleasant. I am here on guidance, and you are to assist me. I need your saliva to heal these two sanchoons. Colossus's bugged-out eyes darted toward the two Sanjuns, and he appeared as though he was trying to laugh at the pain they were obviously in. I squeezed him harder, and the attempted laughter ceased. Colossus, when I let you go, you are to produce saliva and spit it into my hand. I slowly loosened my grip on him and held my hand out by his drooling mouth. Colossus did exactly as I asked, gagging and heaving the saliva into my hand before hastily squirming away from me. He clumsily fell back into the fountain, swimming frantically back into the depths, I'm sure hoping to avoid me and any further disturbances for as long as possible. I took the saliva and split it into each of my hands, gesturing for each of the injured Sanchins to take it. They just stared at me with their peculiar eyes. What are you waiting for? Swallow it! I whispered and made a gesture pretending that I was licking and swallowing the toad saliva from my hand. They looked as if I just told them to eat fairy or something. Their eyes were so strange, I couldn't stop staring at them. It was distracting from the task at hand. They both hesitantly reached out their hands, touching mine, to take the saliva into their hands. They both gagged, and the male fell to his knees onto the stone ground, clutching his face. After some time, they were moving and talking to each other. The way they pronounced words was so strange, and it sounded as if they were speaking a different tongue. But quicker than before, the words began to translate in what seemed like thin air, and I understood them. I've never heard a foreign tongue before. I think that dragons can communicate through scent and smoke, but I don't know of any actual languages that differ from ours. Some of the Celestines have words that they use among themselves to speak in code, but this was nothing like that, so I can't even imagine where these Sanchunes were from. It felt like the guides were translating it through the crown of my head and into my understanding, and the translations began coming so quickly that they were almost real time. You're the guy from my vision. The male was now looking at me and pointing his finger toward me while he rubbed his jaw with his other hand. Guy? I've never heard this word. Yeah, the guy who was looking up at the sky when I was asking for help. Yeah? Another word I've never heard. Yeah. What's yeah and guy? The words were just flowing out of my mouth like they were being channeled. I was communicating with these Sanchunes, and apparently I'm a guy. I was meditating in the cave. I asked for help. I saw you in my vision. The male Sanjun was shaking his head in amazement. I'm Astromus, and you are? I reached out my left forearm. The male held his hand to his chest. Colton and Destina. Colton gestured toward Destina, who reached her right hand out toward my left arm. So strange. I've never seen anyone do this with their right arm, but I twisted my left hand and grabbed her forearm anyway. She laughed gently and moved her arms so that our hands were holding. This was so strange. Where are you both from? I'm from India, and Colton is from America. The words were translating so quickly now. 
I've never heard of these places. Are they in the Southern Hemisphere? No, they're on Earth. Justina tilted her head to one side. What are these Sanchus talking about? I wondered if the translation was off, or perhaps they were still under their spell since their eyes hadn't changed back yet. I responded, where is Earth? We are from planet Earth, which is in the second realm, we think. I don't understand. You're from another planet? Justina glanced at Colton and then back at me. Um, same planet, different realm? A chill rushed over me. This can't be real. Does this mean they're humans? I don't believe humans exist, but these beings were so strange, and come to think of it, they really did resemble what the fairy described as human. Have you heard of us? Destina looked hopeful, as if she was pleading for me to say yes. I was still so shocked. I told her, the fairy talk about you, but I didn't actually believe you exist. You're so frail, and your eyes are so strange. I thought you were Sanshuns from another land or something. Sanshuns? Destina pronounced the word slowly, but almost perfectly. I felt as if she could be a part of our Celestine. I explained to them about the centaurs and how we are in Sanshun form until our hibernation. She looked amazed as they absorbed every word I said, exchanging occasional glances at each other. What was happening in the cave? How did you get here and who was the other human? Colton and Destina explained everything, from the portal on the blood moon to the deaths of the unicorns, all the details right up until they met me. This was so much to process, and I hoped the toads weren't eavesdropping. You say that cornifile blood can possess a human. I don't think we knew that here in our realm, but we can ask the fairy, perhaps after sunrise. What does Gareth want with the hides and the platinum horn? Destina sounded alarmed and impressed at the same time. That horn was platinum? Like it was actually made of platinum? And you can talk to fairy? Yes, platinum is a metal that we know what it is, Destina cut me off. In our realm, platinum is worth a lot of money. It is a very valuable commodity like diamonds and what is money, I interrupted her. And perhaps I should tell you that matured unicorn hides contain white diamonds. Destina put her hands over her face and Colton put three fingers over his jaw, brushing two of them along his scruffy chin as he looked up to the sky. That's why he was killing the unicorns? Destina sounded like she was going to explode with rage. To get rich? He brought us here to murder innocent magical creatures so that he could make money? I had no idea what they were talking about. What is this money thing and what powers would it grant this Gareth person? She bent over, put her hands on her knees, and took a deep breath. That's unbelievable. We have to find him and put a stop to this before any more innocent lives are lost. I thought for a moment, I think we should speak to my father. I do not have celestial guidance to move any further with this matter, and only an elder can make such decisions without the stars. Also, my father is on the council. He will know what to do. The council? Colton asked. Yes, he is one of the five elders serving on the council of Celestines. I started to walk inside the cave toward my parents' lair, and Destina stopped suddenly, extending an arm, stopping Colton from walking forward. She tilted her head looking at me and asked, If the mature unicorn hides contain diamonds, what do the hides of the cornifowl contain? I shook my head. I didn't know the answer to this question. This was all so strange.